Gonna have a real good time together We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna laugh each child together Have a real good time together Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast, the podcast about John Cale in 2012. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. Last, last stop on the John Cale original studio album journey. We've got, uh, we've got M fans to hit, and obviously we did Mercy last year when it dropped, but uh, we're, we're pulling in to the end of the line here. Down in Nookie, in Nookie Wood Station. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what a long, strange trip it's been. And this is where we uh, find ourselves. <laughs> this is where we disembark. This is where we step off onto the platform. The tiles are kind of falling off the wall in the station. And there's like some rats scurrying around beneath the tracks. And there's some guy that's just like sitting on the bench and like doesn't seem to be moving towards the train but you can't really tell what exactly he's doing he's just like kind of rocking there and you're trying to kind of stay away from him and it's totally empty otherwise that's more like where we embark the train and then where we get off is this record uh which is like the station that has like a a weird like touchscreen you are here thing a kiosk that's like not working and like some place to charge your phone where like somebody's pissed next to it and uh you know really ugly fluorescent lighting and some kind of like bare minimum light fixture sculptural art that looks like it's already kind of um failing to do, to move around in the way it's supposed to uh that's that's nookie wood that's nookie wood <laughs> did you listen to this record much when it came out not much. Yeah. Me neither. I, I remember being really psyched that John was back. And like, this was right around the time when I was really starting to move from like basic, you know, Velvet Underground fanboy into like, oh shit, vintage violence is crazy. Oh shit, Paris 1919 is crazy. You know, um, this guy's got some crazy stuff in his uh, in his catalog. And, and, you know, so this seemed like it was going to be huge. And uh, it was all right, you know. I I listened to it a couple times when it came out, and it didn't really didn't really stick with me. And so now we get to return with a little bit more perspective at this point. Ten years, eleven, twelve years later. This is twenty twelve. Jesus Christ, man! Time flies. Twelve years later. It seemed like at the time, like this was this was going to be like John Cale's last will and testament, like the final statement from this. 70 year old you know imagine that a 70 year old man still making rock records um and you know here we are uh 12 years later and and mercy just came out last year um 
it's a weird album, you know? I don't, I still kind of don't know what to make of it and what to get out of it at this point, but I guess we'll see if we have any hidden gems, hidden, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, interesting that you said gems because uh, in an interview around the time, there's a, a, a question where he, he says um, something about the the record being like looking at precious gems. Looking um, at precious gems. Listening to the record is like looking at precious gems. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. upon, I think um, on that topic, he says, uh, when you look at precious stones, you're trying to figure out what it is about this thing that's so enticing. In each of these songs, there's something that is enticing. For me, it's the rhythm. For other people, it's the textures. The textures keep changing. The tracks take you on a journey. Hmm. This Dude. is true of every <laughs> single album ever released uh, to some degree, but especially uh, this one, uh, uh, I guess. <laughs> sure. I guess so, John. I don't think that this record is the best work of John Cale, but I don't think it's uh, worth getting to down on either. No, no, definitely not. I mean, it's um, it's it's another John Cale record, right? At the end of the day, it's like what a blessing to receive a new record from John Cale in 2012. At, you know, in in the midst of whatever was happening back in 2012. I can't even remember 2012 albums at this point. Shields, right? The Grizzly Bear record. I think that was a 2012 record. Um, I don't know why that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, Channel Orange. But um, it, uh, yeah, is a curiously, was at the time, and I think still today is, a curiously kind of like trivial, like trivial might be the right? It's tri- yeah, trivial. I like, mean... I'm so used to at this point, like like looking at the looking at the the big fucking big records from all the dudes over the last couple of years, right? The major heads, you know, Rough and Rowdy, Lulu, uh, Mercy, um, something like The Wind from Warren Zevon. Uh, they they feel so like significant, right? And and like they're really in search of a major statement and and trying to uh, like consciously kind of aware of their importance and. Nookie Wood is is kind of just like another record from John Cale and doesn't have really any sense of his like historical weightiness or uh, um, extraordinary you know circumstances or anything. It's just like here's another collection of songs from Mr. John Cale, which might be exactly kind of what we're what we would want to be quite frank. It's like his well, uh, together through life in some ways. It is. I mean, it's it's not what you don't want. And, and the other aspect about this is that it, it really depends on your outlook going into it. Like, do you go into this with a an abundance mindset or a uh, or what's the opposite? A um, non-abundance. <laughs> non No, a uh, sure, surely uh, someone out there knows the opposite of the word. You know what I mean? Scarcity. Scarcity, exactly. Uh, there's um, a kind of impulse that I think I, we see a lot where people are like, oh, this one, why this is not good. This is so bad that he's doing this just okay music. That is not good. I don't want to see that. Uh, which is, of course, what many, many people have said and continue to say about Bob Dylan. 
just like what this is minor about those records like together through life maybe being exhibit a of that uh on the other hand if you came to it with an abundance mindset uh or a gratitude for its existence you're kind of like well there's no shortage of of uh these things there there's going to be another one and this is the next one and it's already uh just the current thing that you're standing on to look toward the next, which I think is the attitude that, that uh, informs this kind of release from an artist. Like you get the sense that John Cale is just put this out and he was, he was hard at work or leisurely at work as the case may be on music that would come out next. Uh, It's not really like, the tragedy that people some people might think to to have a record that doesn't blow your mind yeah absolutely and i think i think it's it's like where it where it occurs in the discography that it is that like is what makes it kind of weird uh because because if this was a record not that like it sounds like a record from the mid 80s right but if it was a record that like that's just where he was in his career right like the artificial intelligence era where it was just like you know, relatively minor albums that like had a couple great songs, but like kind of didn't really work cohesively and didn't show up anywhere near your like, you know, list of, you know, uh, the the tip top favorites or anything like that's what this record kind of feels like. Um, And uh, but the fact that it is occurring uh, so many years later, you know, towards the very, very end is what makes it kind of exceptional might not be the right way to describe it, but like out of the ordinary and, and interesting and, and sort of curious to think about. But I think it's ultimately kind of a admirable thing that he would have even made this record in the first place because it is just uh, like pleasant music. And there actually are, I, like I forgot, honestly, a couple absolute bangers on here uh, that I really dig, even if the rest of it is like... I kind of think of this as the John Cale Yesayer record. It's just like yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like sure. like bleeding electro rock ish sound that would make sense in a uh, in an Urban Outfitters dressing room uh, from this moment in time. A lot of records from 2012 that I'm looking at now. I mean, are a little bit like this. I mean, not literally, but they kind of seem to be. A lot of records that came out in 2012 are like there's a sound and an approach and then that is really the main event. And then like the songs are maybe secondary to the artist being like really stoked about a way of making music. And I think that this record has that it's like John Cale, very excited about certain types of sounds, certain kinds of musical textures and approaches. And the songs are what happens when those things are explored. And then you get a bunch of them in a row, but like other records that came out, Tame Impala, Lonerism, Lonerism, that's right, that Crimes, uh, Visions, no, Beach House, what? Bloom, uh, that's The Money record. Store, Money Store uh, is like the big one, yeah. Uh, Andy Stott, Luxury Problems. There's uh, uh, Tempest, Ty's, Bob Dylan, <laughs> yeah, Tempest, um, <laughs> Slaughterhouse by uh, Ty Siegel, uh, and. Oh, Centipede Hurts, that's right, yeah. Centipede Hurts, okay, like, there you go. This is the year that brought us Centipede Hurts and Shifty Adventures and Nookie Wood. Like, there was something in the air (laughs) in 2012 where 
I think people were like restless trying to come up with the newest sounding thing they could do. And um, some of those stuck and some of them didn't as much. But I think there was a kind of futurism or like a looking forward or, or maybe just embracing the moment of like actually being like, look, we have these kinds of technologies. I want to just like stake a, a a claim and make something with this stuff. That's why you get like auto tune on this record. Oh, that um, Swan's record came out that year too, didn't it? That, yeah, and, and the Chris, Seer. Yeah, that it, yeah, <laughs> Purity Ring. Uh, Shrine. Ring, sure. Oh, good kid, Mad City. Honestly, twenty twelve. Like thinking about it, maybe it's just because we just got off of our uh, little pitchfork uh, uh, obit episode uh, as we're as we're talking right now. But like, it does kind of seem like the fucking uh, like is that the year that everything changed? Like, was that the kind of point where it shifted from? You think it's twenty thirteen? Twenty thirteen is the year where like the the real shift happened because that's like Jesus. Yeah, I guess I think 2012 to 13, I think that might like that range right there, that 24 month period might be the whole thing. Because like Good Kid, Mad City and and the, the, the money record store. and yeah. Money Store and Channel Orange, like those are all pretty significant um, major non uh, indie rock releases, right? Um, all from 2012. And then, yeah, by the time you get to 2013 with Yeezus is like an unimpeachable, you know, uh, all time masterwork. Uh, plus you get. Uh, the last great Vampire Weekend record um, that year, right? That wasn't that Modern Vampires in 2013. It was. Yeah, I, not that I, I like not that the, Father of the Bride is not good, right? But that's just like many years after, the, like like uh, right, right. Modern Vampires is kind of like the conclusion of the original Vampire Weekend trilogy, trilogy right? Yeah, exactly. But all those records have something in common. Those 2013 records too. I do actually think there is like a a thing here that um I'm I I think I'm onto something about the like formalist uh the for like the the, this excitability about sounds and like trying to even even if it's not gonna gonna actually work like trying to come up with like a different way restlessly trying to come up with a way to like overhaul one's uh, sound as a musician and make it feel very current in a way that um maybe just wasn't possible before like finally folding in uh hip hop influences into indie rock is like where this happens this era um in a way that feels like um some of those things actually stuck or in the case of like the money store it's like uh experimental hip hop rap music that incorporates all kinds of stuff that is not that um and electronic music that kind of is informed by indie rock. Um, that that actress record came out. Um, not even not saying that that's like indie rock electronic music, but that there's a kind of uh, a point here where these things are all being listened to by the same people. Yeah, this, I think the sensibilities of a lot of these records kind of start to conflate. And like for me personally, right, it was a lot easier for me to listen to the Money Store. Um, just like kind of. Uh, based on like how I thought of myself and how I thought of the record, then it would have been for me to listen to like a, 
you know, a Rick Ross record or something like that, right? Um, yeah, that also came out this year, though. Which was, uh, yeah, also 2012. Great. 2012, which, you know, I'm sure Rick Ross is great, but um, it just like they, the, the, <laughs> the sensibility, right? My sensibility and the sensibility of someone like Death Grips, you know, align much more. So, um, uh, whatever. Yeah, so <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about We're a couple white, white guys who are in high school and we liked uh, Death Grips more than Rick Ross. Yes, that's, uh, that's, that's what makes us so unique. Um, Speaking of folding in influences from other types of music, I guess, track one on Nookie Wood, John Cale's uh, Gnarls Barkley song, <laughs> I Want to Talk to You. Hey, uh, wake up. I wanna talk to you. It's him and Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. Brian Burton. John Cale's, um, what was the name of that stupid fucking band that he did with the Shins guy? Um, Broken Bells. John Cale's Broken Bells song. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. That feels, Danger Mouse feels like a very, very, uh, 2010s-ish character, uh, that it's probably best left to the past. I like this song. It's good. <laughs> it's maybe I like, the I like Crazy catchiest. on Charles Barkley, too. Yeah, it does have a little bit of that vibe. Uh, uh yeah. I like I want to talk to you. Two number two letter U. Uh, mm-hmm. it's it's one of the best songs on here. Um, which is you know, take that for what it's worth. It's fun. It has like a cool sound to it, and uh, it's a little funky. Yeah, it's got that kind of Nile Rodgers random access memories, you know, uh, uh, flangy guitar sound uh, for a lot of it. That is fun, absolutely. But I'm glad is quarantined really to this one song on this record. This is the only Danger Mouse production on the record. Because I do think that, like, if this formula, if this whatever this is, uh, collaboration between the two of them had been repeated for the entire record, song by song, that would have made me feel a little kind of sick to my stomach. Like this, like, like slick repackaging of John Cale in this like retro futuristic um, uh, forward looking, you know, modern super producer kind of thing. It's like, that's not what John Cale is all about. As it stands, there is just the one collaboration between the two of them. And so I'm, uh, I'm perfectly happy to listen to it and enjoy it and just think of it as kind of a one-off curiosity. Um, I don't know that he's really and, and like, I feel like we've been talking about this. I've been talking about this at least for the last couple John records, the the lack of clarity into what he's getting on about in any of these songs, like the lyrics, you know, that he's writing at this point are just not landing for me for the most part. Um, The way that, you know, something from like, like modern dance does, right. Uh, Just to pull a, a particularly great late era blue lyric. Um, but that, I think that problem really, or not problem, but that phenomenon, I should say, really comes to the forefront on this record. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, there's basically not a song that has any kind of emotional center that is relatable <laughs> to anyone who's not named John Cale. There is, there are a couple. There's one in particular, I think, that for me is really okay, kind of striking a chord. But that's true. Yeah, I th- in general. It, it's the, it's Living With You. Living With You, one? absolutely. Exactly. His My uh, Girls. His My Girls. Yeah, exactly. All I, <laughs> I, I just need uh, four walls and Adobe slants. Um, but yeah, uh, I want to talk to you is really a, uh, Hey, wake up, wake up. I want to talk to you. Wait up. I want to talk to you. 
All right, John, well, we're talking. That's an, I'm that's talking an, to you. An emotion uh, in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's an impulse. I think a lot of these things are like, it's less like an emotional core to a song and more like a phenomena, a type of feeling that is like maybe not the main event of most songs. Like there's aspects to these that make me think uh, he's kind of writing about very specific micro emotions or 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 interactions types of interactions or types of feelings that aren't going to be like the ones that really rip your heart out or anything it's it's worth doing when you have the time i guess you know to make songs that are about things that are a bit more specific or uh peculiar but it doesn't necessarily translate to songs that are gripping in their lyrical approach. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and uh, that's really right. And and that maybe is why I am finding myself having something more of a, a moment with Nookie Wood, not to say that this is, you know, a, a revelatory listening experience coming back to it for me at this moment in time, but certainly appreciating it more than I did 12 years ago when it came out. Um, because, you know, I've, we, we've taken this journey with our friend John at this point, and it's just interesting to see where he is at, how, where he's arrived here at the end of his own journey, towards the end of his own journey at this moment in time where he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't seem to be particularly fired by any sort of like essential, I got to carve these words into the fucking stone tablets. I'm just tearing them out of my chest because I have to say it, right? It's, it's more of... I I almost kind of think of this record and a lot of these later records, actually, the EPs, for instance, as like exercises for him, as like things that he's doing just to kind of stay in fighting shape and like uh, uh, stay attuned with what's going on in the culture and kind of like practiced in the studio, up to date on the latest hardware and software or whatever, uh, and getting the opportunity to go out and tour it, make connections with people. It's like, um, it's it's functional kind of music, right? Like it, it's not... Uh, I don't want to say that it's like it's a business decision that he's making to place to put these records out by any means, but it's it's um, I think it's fi- it, it, it's coming from somewhere other than where it used to come within him, right? The way that um, uh, I don't know, uh, Words for the Dying did, for instance. Yeah, and it's it's not really anything new. There's there's songs on like Slow Dazzle even that are kind of like less. Yeah, but slow dazzle. I mean, you've got fucking, you've got Mr. Wilson, you've got the sure. jeweler, you've got. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. Yeah, but uh, like, but I, I think artificial intelligence, right? Or artificial or intelligence, sunset. Sure. Like you know, it fits in even walking on locusts to an extent. Although I do, I think well, walking yes. on locusts actually has a little more beneath the surface than some of the other pleasant uh, pleasantries in the John Cale discography. Man. Wish I wish we were listening to Walking on Locusts. I love that record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have I said I, that before? You, you do. You have. Uh, you, you always do. I've got uh, it on the uh, got it on my bookshelf right behind me. He's always looking at me. This album cover looks like uh, like an Ariel Pink album or something. Like it the text looks like, does. It looks like a self conscious. It looks like a like a, a vice graphic designer's like self conscious uh, imitation of an Ariel Pink record. Yes. Knowing you've done nothing wrong Living as if it done something wrong You knew it could happen You knew that 
Scotland Yard. Uh, I like it, I guess. Living in Scotland Yard. <laughs> Hemingway. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, Scotland Yard is fun. It's kind of an industrial song. Uh, he's he's kind of pumping pumping some iron here. A uh, little little bit of Nine Inch Nails feeling. You know, uh, he's doing his thing. Yeah, this is a record that maybe is best is best enjoyed like with other music at hand too. Like where you kind of like, <laughs> like listening sample. to other songs besides <laughs> the, these songs. Yeah, you got some other. It, it's like you know it, you got a plate and there's. There's the sandwich, and then there's there's the macaroni salad, and then there's there's pickles, and uh, this this album is just the macaroni salad. Hmm. Yeah. You need maybe some, maybe some other things. Maybe maybe the cranberry sauce on the Thanksgiving plate. Like yeah, you're not just, just you're not just gonna like if, if you have if you're having leftovers the day <laughs> after you might like have some leftover turkey right, but you're not just gonna go ham on the cranberry sauce. But this it's on the plate. Is- it even like kind of has the, the colors of the cranberry sauce, you know? This is like when they do a, a blind taste test of like, you know, how many, uh, 12 different kinds of ketchup. And they're asking everyone which one is the best ketchup. Uh, and what you're getting on this record is 12 different types. And there's some that are better than others. Sir Kensington's? That one's actually a good ketchup. I don't I think I've ever say. tried that one. Actually, no, I, I have tried it. it. It's kind of grainier, right? It's like a little bit thicker. Yeah. It's, it's not as smooth. It's it's more, uh, tra- you know, you're getting things. Hunts uh, is no good. You're getting variations. I don't like hunts. No. No one likes hunts. Anytime you see hunts, that's just the restaurant or the person you're at, the person whose house you're at, they're just cheaping out. At least, get- you can just get the, the store brand, the Kirkland Signature. Maybe a better uh, analogy, it's like a big box of C's candies. It's like chocolates. There are, you know, it's all going to be of about the same quality. Mm. Some are going to be nougat filled, but some of them are going to be like kind of orange marmalade filled. Right. And some are just chocolate. And you're, you know, there's ones that you're going to like better, but it's by the end of it, you're, you've, you've just eaten a bunch of chocolate. So you might want to, you know, you might want to just have. It's a bowl of granola. Hemingway. Mm-hmm. John loves John loves his uh, his you know early, first half of the 20th century artistic um, uh, stalwarts. Right. We we've seen this with Magritte. We've seen this with Pablo Picasso. Here we are with Mr. Ernest Hemingway. It, they're all the boys, you know. He's he's got his his crew, his 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 guys, John's guys. Uh, it like honestly, it, this makes perfect sense that there's a John Cale song called Hemingway, and it's not even particularly interesting. It's just him kind of making a couple basic Hemingway <laughs> references. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the line between the friend and foe is arbitrary still, drowning in pina coladas as the bulls prowl, prowl around the ring. He's that like he's. Hemingway would have been drinking pina coladas in Havana and he was going to the bullfights in like Spain. Spain. It doesn't even make any sense. The uh, ending, it says you got the thousand yard stare. That's right. You got a thousand ah! yard stare after he, he saw Guernica fall. Uh, Guernica, as John pronounces it, which, you know, obviously is uh, inspired by Hemingway's time during the Spanish Civil War uh, as documented in For Whom the Bell Tolls. You ever read that one? No, that's I a good one. Read, that's a long. That one. It's long, but it's it's. Good. I should probably read that again, to be honest. I I really dug that. You got a favorite <laughs> I, Hemingway? Well, uh, 
Uh, the short one. <laughs> Wait, uh, the old man in the sea? No, the really short one. That's the old man in the sea. Baby shoes. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> um, I, I was once told by a friend who was lying to me uh, and entertaining himself that um, the reason that Hemingway died, wh- the way he died, mm-hmm. was that he, uh, he made a bet with someone um, that if he w- couldn't catch a, a fish, uh, then he would, um, he would kill himself with a gun. And um, he would blow his brains out with a shotgun. Okay. And, and, and um, he, he tied a fish to the, to the line, unbeknownst to this person, and he cast it out, you know, knowing that when he re- reeled it back in, there would be a fish there. Uh-huh. And he would, and and in, and what? Yet when he reeled it back in, there was a boot, a big a big boot at the end of the oh, leather uh, line. Yeah. And so then he had to kill himself. <laughs> and this is just like a, a shaggy dog lie that your friend was telling you. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> and now I'm telling it here because I thought I've always, I've always liked that lie. Thank you for enriching all of our lives. Um. I'm a big uh, Farewell to Arms fan. Uh, the Sun Also Rises, you know, talk about formative reading experiences like we were talking about on the Pitchfork website. Uh, that book, fucking, you know, <laughs> 21-year-old Ian uh, had his mind forever altered by that by that reading experience, his life forever altered. Uh, but yeah, I think Farewell to Arms is the one that does it for me. I'm a big World War One nut. The Great War. They call you it. like that war? Yeah, it's my favorite war. Absolutely. Every 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 fellow's got to have a favorite war. Oh. You got a favorite war? The War of Independence. The War of Independence. Okay. The American War of Independence? There's a lot of wars for independence. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, uh, no, I mean, I don't like that one very much. I, it's, I guess, I'll have to, you'll have to come back to me on that. I, Franco-Prussian I thought- War. I'm a big fan of that one, you know? Uh, the, 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 the victory of the Germans over the, the vile French. Um, the I Spanish, guess that- Spanish-American War is a fun one. World War One is good because it was really just war for war's sake. You know, it's just like there's none of that for the love of the game. Exactly. No, no none of that reasons. None of that progress. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes of it. It's just straight up. How many people? Sometimes you just gotta you just gotta feed five million young men into the 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 meat grinder and and wipe it, out a generation into the into the muddy soil of Europe. The thresher of Verdun. <laughs> um, yeah, it uh, it's very you know. Um, I don't know. It's a big, big fan. Um, John apparently also a big fan of World War One uh, via Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he doesn't say anything about World War One, but songs are right. Face, um, face to the sky. Face to the sky. This one's cool. I like this. It was one. a single. It was a single. Was it a single? Uh, with, with I want to talk to. You. I want to talk to you. Must have been the first single, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, this one kicks off with this kind of like. I'm getting a little bit of that uh, Hobo Sapiens, uh, Black yeah. Acetate. Uh, I forget all the songs that we talked about this in relation to. I know Bicycle was one of them, but that, you know, kind of like like airport um, music kind of feeling, like like the, the it contemporary like a- gel, uh, like... I don't know. Fucking I know jet I know set radio mean. type thing. I, I think we talked about that too. It's got a little, a little bit. Of that bit. Here. It, 
it's also it's kind of like the opening credits to a a movie uh, about like 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 a science based thriller maybe yeah 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 like a mid budget you know maybe sixty million dollar movie that isn't very good yeah and like comes the, out um, in like late September um like before award season but like after the summer yeah do you remember that movie um the the paycheck the paycheck. This, the name sounds familiar, but I don't remember anything about it. Uh, that that was a movie from 2003, or Paycheck, it's just called. Paycheck. Uh, set, set in the near future, Ben Affleck uh, stars as a reverse engineer who hacks into new electronic technologies for rival companies to duplicate. Remember the future, Paycheck. Wow, this is funny. Yeah. So I was thinking that... Um, that's exactly the type of thing I'm... This I'm, movie I'm, literally has a $60 million budget, according to Wikipedia. All right, so I'm, right. Taking, I'm taking a victory lap here. I was thinking and that like, just, look at the cover. Like, it's got, like, these blue puzzle pieces floating yeah. in a void. <laughs> that's pretty good. I was thinking that... Um, that you remember that Justin Timberlake movie where, like, rich people could buy more lifetime from poor yeah, people, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. That that's that was I forget what was that called Justin Timberlake time movie. I think I saw that in theaters as well as Paycheck. It's literally just called In Time. Okay, yeah, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are killing it, Hollywood. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that actually the those movies featured a song that sounded like this. But you get the picture. It's kind of uh, from the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm get I'm getting I'm getting an in an in time type of vibe from Face to the Sky by John Cale. I actually I have to say that I think a lot of this sort of sounds like John Cale doing like a, a obscure Britney Spears or Madonna cuts. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Or like Kylie Minogue, but instead it's John Cale talking about. God knows what, instead. But if it was like one of those uh, female pop stars, it would be some forgettable song about like, uh, like you gotta like pick me up from the hotel. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Nookie Wood. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, what what do we what do you think of the Nookie Wood? What what is your conception of this place, the Nookie Wood? Down in the Nookie Wood. Down in the Nookie Wood. If you're looking for a place to find, a place to hide where the climate is cool and the river is wide, down in the Nookie Wood. It's it's like the it's like the Love Shack, baby. The Nookie Wood is the love. Okay, so Nookie Wood is just a forest where everyone is piping down. Yeah, but you have to wait in line like, and be wearing the right outfit so the bouncer lets you in. So it's Burgine, but, but outdoors. But for, yeah. Okay. And it's maybe not actually in nature. It's, it's maybe just sort of, maybe just has those like trees, the, the, the 5G towers disguised as trees. Right. I don't know. The cover has a ghostly, uh, like, uh, you know, sort of faded in image of, of what appear to be trees there. It's, it's got sort of a Blair Witch. It's also like, got like know. a child. Is that John as a I baby? I think that's John as a lad. Yeah. A lad. It's, it's tough to see because his face is, is covered by the uh, immortal title, Shifty Adventures in Nookie Wood. Uh, but I'm, I think that is him. Uh, some and there's kind also of some a... sort of doll down there in the bottom. 
he's holding flowers. It looks very, I mean, it looks Lynchian in that there is like a little boy in a suit holding flowers and there's a, the forest. So I mean, that's... like I was like I was saying though, it looks like a fucking you know uh, a nine to five uh, office drones impersonation of what they would think is Lynch. David Lynch would never put his name to this. Um, well, you know, I mean, have you have you seen Inland Empire? Uh, uh, I haven't seen Inland Empire. Actually, that's the one I haven't seen. That's the one that's all filmed on like VHS. small digital cam. No digital camera. Oh. Small digital, handheld digital. Oh, well, that's so right. Yeah, like little like kind mini of disc got, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I I guess this song is kind of you know it's 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 like the sexy one and it's a little bit like spooky. Um, yeah, it's kind of uh, mid tempo. It's halting. John's got yeah, sort of a, a devil voice type thing. He is doing a lot of um, vocal production here, or like um, uh, vocal production uh, effects on on his voice across the record. Um, there's a lot of auto processing actually processing yeah exactly um and th- i don't think he's really too auto-tuned on this song in particular but he he does have a lot of a lot of stuff going on vocally and that's what i was saying earlier is like i i, I think of this almost as like a collection of demos or opportunities where he was like let me let me try to use this effects pedal or something on this song and then it just turns into like I don't know, uh, Midnight Feast on this record or something, um, yeah, or on the next record, or the next song, right? He's like, let me just try to do an 808s and Heartbreaks type song, and it turns into December Rains. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's fun to hear that from a guy like John Cale. I do, I, I do not understand why Nookie Wood is the central kind of thesis of this record. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's just sort of the, uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. We got, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like the latter day John Cale album titles. You got Hobo Sapiens. You got Five Tracks. You got Black Acetate. You got Extra Playful. And you got Shifty Adventures in Nookie Wood. Well, of the actual long playing records that you just listed, it absolutely checks out the the, the Hobo Sapiens and Black Acetate <laughs> one word. Uh, <laughs> That artist is also responsible for shifty adventures, shifty adventures in, in Nookie Wood. Wood. Yeah, so I feel like Mercy is a great like Mercy is a perfect title for Mercy the record. Yeah. I think that that really kind of like the whole album hangs off of that really effectively. Um, maybe it's the fact that it just took him an extra you know twelve years to get there or something. But yeah, this uh, this this moment in time is very fun, very fun to just <laughs> prattle on about. Uh, at least we're not doing more live albums at this point. Uh, doing a hard time in the Nookie Wood. Hopefully I'll see you down there in the Nookie Wood. December rains. December, December, December rains. The Kylie Minogue vibe just continues. Yeah, yeah. Soft porn rioting is now online. There's going to be hell to pay. Somewhere south of Meridian 5, we're going to start again. December, December. December rains. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is the one where he, he says Google. Um, with Google getting on your nerves and politics left and right, kiss your private life goodbye, lights out, say goodnight. Amen, brother. Technology was up, was on his mind. Did you, did you know that uh, there's bonus tracks that were 
released with certain versions of this. Um, I did one, know that actually because one of a, which a, a sequel to Bluetooth Swings, that's right? That's What I was going to bring up. Yeah, <laughs> there's Bluetooth Swings Redux. Redux. You thought you had, you thought it was safe again to go back on the Bluetooth. I didn't actually listen to those songs. I just I saw them get mentioned. I think on the Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, you know, technology, man. It's uh, it's a bitch. Mary. What do you think about Mary? You know, Mary is definitely the seventh song on Shifty Adventures in Nookie Wood. 100%. Oh, boy. Uh, it does. There's some fun stuff here. I think towards the end, when, it, when he goes into the safer than sorry thing, um, that's, you know, that's a fun way to, to, to send it out. But it's, it's a very just like song by John. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I, I, this might be the most challenging record we've ever had to discuss. In some I don't ways. think so. it's not. It was, we did a whole, we, come on, Fallen Angels and four hours on Triplicate and Together Through Life. We, we've, we've been through the shit before. Those are classic songs. <laughs> those are songs about life for the, of the man on the street. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, those apply to everyone. Whereas I, I'm not sure what Vampire Cafe has for for me come on it's a vampire cafe it's right there in the title it's a cool thing to think about for sure absolutely i like that there's a t- there's a song called vampire cafe i, I very much like that there's a song called Mothra. Oh, well, hang on. We, we, we're going to get to Mothra. Mothra's, yeah, Mothra's yeah. an all-timer. Uh, what, yeah, what, what do you think the Vampire Cafe would be like? It's like well, a sort of a third-wave coffee shop type thing with, like, recessed lighting and, like, all wood fixtures and, like, two kind of uncomfortable tables to sit at that are always occupied by someone. But instead of drinking coffee, everyone's drinking, like, blood lattes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I do think that's what it would be like. <laughs> Let me have a, a demi toss of um, uh, of uh, well, I was gonna say like <laughs> Colombian hemoglobin, Colombian blood, but it's maybe not yeah, the maybe best not uh, phrase. I, I think that this is a, it would be like a, just like any other uh, Starbucks, but it, it's uh, it it the lights are off and it's like it looks like it's closed and yet it's not, and everybody in there is a. a, a a vampire. A vamp. Oh, so you think it's like a chain? Like it's not like a. Uh, I was envisioning sort of like a specialized artisanal, like single vampire cafe. But you're thinking there's like a whole series of vampire cafes, like in the airports and like in Albertsons and like drive-throughs. I no, I mean I think they're like they're underground or something. They're in like uh they're in abandoned something in the vampire world. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So there is a chain of them, but they're just not accessible to us. But the vampires go them go there all the that's, time. That's right. Okay, <laughs> perfect. I remember I was gonna go to the John show that he played uh, at the El Rey on this tour, um, and I didn't go, and I still do regret it to this day. I just couldn't, I think I've talked about this on the show before, I couldn't find anyone to go with me. There was a guy that worked with me at the Apple store at this moment in time who said he would go, and I like didn't want to go with him for some reason, so I should have. Sorry about that, Sam. But um, it's a good set list, I'm looking at it right now. Head of Gabbler, Captain Hook, Model Beirut yeah, Recital, yeah. Uh, 
Guts, You Know More Than I Know, Helen of Troy, Great Paris, sellers. Pablo Picasso. Yeah, man, this would have been fucking fire. December 11th, 2012, DL Ray. John never ended up doing that uh, other show that uh, we were told was going to happen in November last year. Right. It's true. I dare you to go on tour, John Cale. I dare you. To play, play a single a show, show in California, in anywhere Jesus. in the fucking uh, United States that isn't New York City. Mothra is pretty good. I, I love it. Mothra. Mothra, Mothra, try it again. Try something new today. I mean, I don't know what it has to do with Mothra, the ca- the character. The um, this seems like it's this seems as directly up your alley as uh, as the Charlie Brown line. Uh, yeah, in, in on Hobo Sapiens. Well, I like. I'm a big fan of Godzilla and and his friends and enemies. So I like Mothra. Is Mothra, is very, is Mothra one of the bad guys? Or yes, but also sometimes not. He ends up teaming up with him eventually. Her, her. her. Oh, it's a girl. Mothra is a woman. Oh, excuse me. I apologize for mis- misgendering Mothra. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, it's a it's, big moth, it's, right? It's a yeah. You bet. <laughs> How does Mothra fight Godzilla? Uh, it seems from, like Godzilla would have that kind of on lock. He's because he's a dinosaur with nuclear fire breath. He's not a dinosaur. You know what I mean? Big, big lizard type fella. Uh, I think that Mothra flies around and uh, well, maybe it has some kind of ray. Oh, so like it shoots like a, a laser sure. beam or something. I I, I forget. Mothra. Let's see. Mothra. Mothra abilities. It's a kaiju uh, that first appeared in the 1961 film Mothra, produced and distributed by Toho Studios. Uh, uh, silk, stinger, antenna beam. <laughs> okay. You know. This, this sounds like the you know the four Pokemon moves that you choose from. Um, these are these are the abilities of Mothra. Interesting. It's a Mothra species, giant moth. Mothra egg appears on the coast of Japan. Ancient moth goddess. Uh, mm-hmm. It sort of has these familiars or like these uh, these car- these two twin little fairy women that are associated with it. Um, In Mothra versus Godzilla, apparently Mothra is actually a good guy, and Godzilla is the bad guy. Yeah, mo- Godzilla switches back and forth from being good guy to bad guy. Godzilla is really sort of a Tony Soprano, uh, you know, anti-hero type character. It seems like I, I didn't Sometime- realize there was such a depth of of humanity to the to the man. Well, t- he's a great man sometimes, and there's other times when Godzilla is actually, uh, you know, a, a not a not a sympathetic character. Like the most recent Godzilla film, he's he's not a good guy. He's Minus a big, one, bad right? Guy. Minus one, he's a bad guy. And the one previous, that uh, Shin Godzilla, he's maybe the most bad Godzilla's ever been. Um, just a, a demon, a, a, just like a thousand feet tall, like a horrible demon thing. It's evil. It's so scary and, and evil. But other times, he's, he's our friend. That's what I don't understand about the American Godzillas that they're making right now, where he like fights King Kong and teams up with him and stuff. Like, it seem, once again, it seems like Godzilla could just wipe the floor with King Kong the same way that he could wipe the floor with Mothra. It, I, I don't, I don't get it. King Kong like would fit in Godzilla's palm. This is why you have to watch the movies. I think that sometimes they make King Kong bigger. The the sizes and scales of the various Godzillas and Kongs change 
from picture to picture. Interesting. Um, and sometimes Mothra, for example, is uh, in a John Cale song. That's right. Mothra, Mothra. <laughs> Mothra, Mothra, give me the news, right? Mothra, Mothra, um, give it a whirl, try it again. I like the fact that he's singing about Mothra, uh, you know? <laughs> I don't. Oh, me too. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I have much more to say beyond that. But it's cool that there's a John Cale song called Mothra. Imagine if there was a Bob Dylan song called Mothra. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> Mothra, All right. Well, no, now we've gotten to the 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 actual uh, most song like song. To Jim at the gyms. Yeah, absolutely. This one banger, absolute all timer. Definitely going to be on my you know uh, John song list at the end of this journey living with you feels like all of the experimentation coalesces into uh or is in service of a song that maybe he had kicking around already and like it's lifted up by this kind of adventurous production but it feels very much like you it would have been good if he was playing it on an acoustic guitar and there's beautiful acoustic guitar the classical guitar flourishes in here too yeah, with I, these like affected drums and bleeps and bloops. Yeah, I think it's a it's a uh, this is exactly what I'm looking for out of late era John. It's got a very set me free type feeling to return yes. once again to Walking on Locust, where it's got a little bit of the classical instrumentation, but is clearly you know uh, mashed up with inflected by uh, whatever current fixation uh, he has at that moment in time with the cutting edge musicality. And I think the song would have worked really whenever he decided to write it, record it, you know, spit it out. This could have been a 1975 song. This could have been a 1995 song. It is a 2012 song. It's an eternal, very simple kind of tune, but um, is is absolutely 100% totally successful. Super basic. I've got four walls and a roof. Going to put the roof up top. Got glass for the windows. We'll have windows to look through because this is living. This is living with you. Doesn't need to be more... Complicated than that, you know. It's even yeah, got it's a little good. bit of destroyer to it. Actually, I'm getting there's some horns in here. I'm getting a little kaput, um, which I really love. Yeah, yeah. Man, kaput. kaput. 2011, good one. Great, one of the greatest records of all time. Man, I think to Bay me, pigs, huge. The whole thing. Not Have even you to kaput, pigs you... Not really even a kaput song. It's just like tacked on there at the end. It was a single, but yeah. I, I mean, you listen to Kaput, and it's just like, oh my god, this song, and then oh my god, this one, and then oh my god, the next one. It's just Chinatown. It's it, Suicide Relent- Demo for Carol Walker. Kaput's the song. Relentless. It, like, yeah. Song for America. Uh, uh, 
Poor in Love. Oh, Poor in Love. My, that's my favorite one. That's maybe my favorite Destroyer song. I was poor in love. I was poor in love. Uh, uh, was okay with everything else there was. Oh, I yeah. was poor in love. Yeah, I, she said, took me aside and said, I don't do this every day. You've got style. All you've got is style. All you've got is Great. style. That sounds like John Cale lyrics, honestly. <laughs> All uh, you've got is the style it takes. Yeah, the, the bootleg uh, title. <laughs> Could put John Mash. Who fucking knows? All right. Um, Midnight, Midnight Feast. Feast. This is definitely the 11th song on Shifty Adventures in Nookie Wood. It's precisely. Uh, he mentions Joni Mitchell. Don't really know what's going on there. Found you on the freeway, shredding the alphabet, listening to the fog bank, Joni Mitchell and her parking lot. I guess that's a, what is that, Big Yellow Taxi reference, right? Yeah, Pay of Paradise. Yeah. Uh, Put up a parking lot. Yeah. And uh, we were passing by a midnight feast, but we carried on. Since you'd seen Beauty and the Beast, you said, enough. Uh-huh. Uh, other John Cale type of stuff here. Uh, he mentions Italy. Um, you know, you're up. Don't know that I needed this one <laughs> here, to be honest. Um, yeah. And then it's uh, Sandman Flying Dutchman. Just like the Sandman, I'm being lulled to sleep by the end of this. I think this one's kind of fun, to be honest. I like this one. It's got it's got sort of a bedroom pop. It's It's got a... You remember like Youth Lagoon to just continue our like sure. remember some guys uh, shit from 2012 era Pitchfork? It's got that kind of feeling to it, right? Where it's like, it's not quite chill wave. It's a little more fully fleshed out, but it's like, it is clearly just a guy on a laptop in his bedroom. Uh, that's that's what I'm getting from Sandman, Flying Dutchman. Mm. Uh, and you get about the same level of lyrical depth here uh, from John that you do on any of those any of those records. Uh, he's drifting, drifting away. He's waving again. He's leaving. Sandman's on his way. Thank you, John. Goodbye, John. <laughs> uh, one star for Shifty Adventures in yeah, Wood. <laughs> same. One out of three stars for this not, album. Not bad. I'm glad that it exists. But uh, if it didn't exist, I don't think I would feel that there was something missing necessarily. Listen, it is all part of the story at this point. Yeah, you know, you you watch uh you watch a TV show, you know, season of a TV show and sometimes there's some episodes, you know, like it sometimes it's long-term parking from the Sopranos, right? Like the end of season 5 with Adriana. And other times it's just like life-changing, life earth-shattering development other times it's any of the episodes in the sopranos where there's like a rapper subplot yeah exactly yeah other times it's it's the one where um uh hesh is like trying to like um make good on past royalties or whatever there's like an argument over uh who owes the other person what money for like stealing publishing rights right from a a pop uh, song from 40 years earlier the Hasidic guys too, or it's like anything with them. Yeah, oh, there's, yeah, the Hasidic guys. That was terrible. It's all stuff that the the show thankfully like kind of uh, ran through at the beginning of its uh, few first few seasons, and then uh, recognized it wasn't important. But in this case, it's like uh, you know, this is John Cale just making one for John. I, I think it's another. Listen, there are, there are there are. More albums, more records in this world than there are uh, breaths in our in our bodies. I don't know. 
But there are only a few records made by Mr. John Cale, and this is one of them. So, you know, that is absolutely worth something. And if <laughs> if we're not going to podcast about it, who the fuck is? Jokerman. Jokerman. 